Happy New Year, Bedlamites. We look forward to providing you tantalizing dark tales this year with upcoming episodes of Nightbleed. In the works, we have a dystopian political thriller called The Heritage. But tonight, we continue the story of B.L. Norris's upcoming novel, The Grudge Keeper, due to release February 3rd. If you haven't already, please check out blnorris.com and subscribe to B.L. Norris Books on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now we bring you The Grudge Keeper. I'm exhausted, but I can't sleep. I'm waiting for Sarah. Time seems to have stopped, and I wait and wait. I can hear tiptoeing outside my door. It's my father, his feet are too heavy to be stealthy. He is going to bother my mother. I don't want to listen, but I have little choice in the matter. Some nights, he goes to her. I can hear the bed squeak, shudder, quake in time with her sobs. She absorbs him. I am traumatized by the crescendo of his beastly panting as he feverishly tries to get what's inside of him out. Finally, mercifully, he grunts in climax. Even in grief, a man's nature must be satiated. I waited several more hours for Sarah, but she doesn't come. I wonder if she's punishing me. I wonder if she is preparing me for a time when she will no longer exist. Either way, I am scared to know the answer. Six. Captive. The pain was excruciating at first. Body shots to the liver. Strangulation to the point of unconsciousness. You name it, I have endured it. But if there is one thing I have learned, humans are resilient. I've learned to suffer abuse. Learned to live with abuse. I have hope despite it. I am determined to survive. I lie on a bale of hay, unable to sleep. Stray cats have moved into the barn, and I am happy to share the space. It keeps me from being lonely. Sometimes, when I am lucky, they will snuggle up to me for warmth. I enjoy their contact, need their contact. It is something other than pain that reminds me I am alive. They are my sanity. I like to believe I am a comfort to them, at least until the collar starts to hum and they scatter. I clench my teeth. This damn collar. I have become used to it the way I am used to my own heartbeat. I hear Abel's footsteps fast approaching. My body tenses, and I get to my feet, and wait. The door to the barn rattles open, and he enters. The lantern he is carrying lights the way. He stops a few feet in front of me. He looks harried, distressed. This worries me. Abel is staring at me with an unreadable expression. I lower my eyes. I don't look him in the eyes the way I wouldn't look a rabid dog in the eyes for fear it would provoke him. Sit down, he says, his voice dangerously calm. I hesitate. Go on. I sit. I am wary. The muscles in my body are coiled, ready to spring. Sarah was my oldest. For seven years, she was the only child. She was smart, so fucking smart. Abel's voice cracks. I'm just a dumb old farmer who didn't pass ninth grade. 
My father too was a farmer, but Sarah was going to be different. She was going to be something. His eyes are on me, unblinking. You took that from me. I started to protest, but there was something in his eyes that choked off my words. Did you rape her? I didn't. Why her? Why my Sarah? Abel, I didn't kill your daughter. You can beat me senseless, and that won't change a thing. I don't care what evidence they say they have. I didn't do it. The silence balloons between us, and his words pop it. I can't even fuck my own wife without her bursting into tears. Once a month, that's all I get. One night a month to touch my own wife. I haven't had the pleasure of a woman for over a year, so he is doing better than me. I keep this thought to myself, though. My daughter Sammy talks to herself. At night, I walk by her bedroom and hear her talking to her dead sister. He is looking at me without blinking. He sees only me. I am the focus. What does a man do? What does a man do when he's failed to protect his family? When he can't keep what remains of his family intact? I can feel his pain, but I feel my pain more. He scarred my body, brutalized me for sport. What makes his pain any worse than mine? I've been added to this collection of victims. He is my victimizer. Do you have kids? <clears throat> the question brings me back to the moment. Not that I know of. Abel chuckles. Then we fall silent. One of the kittens meanders over. It rubs up against Abel's leg. The only human it knows is me. I am kind and gentle with it. It doesn't recognize the difference between me and Abel. Abel reaches down and grabs the puff of white fur by the cuff of the neck and lets it dangle. The cat goes still, paralyzed. You never even said you're sorry. Abel? He pets the cat's tiny head, and the kitten goes into motion, its hind legs swiping upward, clawing at him. It wiggles, struggling in vain. I am like the kitten, clawing and wiggling but unable to escape. The collar has me in its unyielding grasp. I watch in horror as Abel's large, callous hand grabs it by its delicate neck and in a sharp motion, snaps it. I stumble and fall to the ground when he tosses the dead animal at my face. You are going to come around sooner or later, and we can start speaking some truth. He takes his phone from his pocket and zaps me. I lose consciousness in a flash of white light. When awareness returns, it is to darkness. Argent streams of moonlight thread their way through the cracks in the barn, casting a spectral aura over the place. The sounds of field rats foraging fill the air, their movements concealed in the shadows. They, too, are like ghosts. My pants are damp from the aftermath of being zapped, the pungent scent of urine lingering. Uncomfortable, yet more manageable than the dull ache at my temples. Lying on the cold ground, I struggle to a sitting position. My face is caked with dried blood that has leaked from my nose. The lock on the barn door is being maneuvered and then disengaged. My heart drops. I doubt I can endure another round with Abel. Surprisingly, it's the girl, Sammy, approaching with a flashlight. She shines it on me. You look terrible, she says, careful to stand just out of my reach. You can thank your father for that. She places the light on her face, studying me for a moment then says, you should just tell him what he wants to hear. Why put yourself through this? Because I didn't do it. She shrugs. Then he'll probably end up killing you. She tosses an apple to me. 
Thank you, I say, truly grateful. I tear into the fruit, munching my way to the core. Throw it to me, she says. I toss the apple core to her. My father is observant. We have to be careful, she says, slipping it into her pocket. We study one another. There's a peculiar smile playing at her lips. This girl looks so much like her father. It's eerie. She has a shield up, wearing an armor of nonchalance, but it's all pretense. She is innately soft, but something has made her act against her nature. Something is stealing her essence. I am a master con man. I can read people like a book. I can read her too. I didn't kill your sister. Sammy looks at me in that same unblinking way as her father. I know, she says emotionlessly. Tell your father, I implore. She shakes her head. It wouldn't do any good. He finally has a face for the boogeyman. Your face. She blinks. He won't give that up. What an odd girl. Deceptive. Cold. Smart. Do you know who killed your sister? I ask. She takes the light from her face and puts it back in mine. They say you did. She shrugs, then turns to leave. Wait. I'm sorry I won't ask again. Just don't go. I have to get the keys back before he notices they are gone, she says. Why were you in prison? Drugs. What else? I pause. I stole some money. A lot of money. She giggles and then she is gone. 